You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to be able to worship together with you. And I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And thank you, worship team, for leading us once again here and the faithful um, people serving behind the scenes and those who are uh, leading us in worship week after week. Make sure you have your Bibles, have a notepad handy, a pen, and uh, to to write down some of the points and some of the references that we'll be talking about today. I trust that as you are uh, worshiping this morning and, and, and that, that you're just being able to engage together uh, with us as the body of Christ. Now, now, this past week I was reading the Babylon Bee, which is uh, uh, everyone's trusted source for, um, for, for your Christian satire. And I think we have one of those pictures there. They, um, there and just take a look at, at what could be happening. It looks like the Johnsons aren't raising their hands in Sector 4. And so here Babylon Bee is reporting the church is deploying a drone system to make sure that worshipers sit, stand, and raise their hands at the right time. So um, j- just so you know, we're, we're looking into this, so you just never know if all of a sudden some drones may be out your window on a Sunday morning just checking in on you. And uh, anyways, I thought that was pretty funny. And then here, here's another one, too, that we're giving some consideration to. Lazy Pastor starts broadcasting reruns. I mean, come on, if, if Hollywood can, can, can broadcast reruns, why can't we? You know, so, uh, so maybe stay tuned. And, and uh, anyways, I I really doubt we will do that. But let's face it, now, this whole pandemic thing is taking a toll on people, and, and even people in Hollywood. You, you take the normally very beautiful Jennifer Aniston, and, and I saw this this week. Here's what she's looking like now after, uh, after COVID-19. I mean, it's having a serious effect on her. And, um, and, and, and then we also know that the struggle for parents, it's really real. And, you know, homeschooling and having your kids kind of home more and with, with fewer friends to play with. And, and look, when parents start to crack during lockdown, mom, am I adopted? And it's like, not yet. I only put the ad out yesterday. Anyways, I thought that was pretty good. And maybe for some of you, that might be where you are at right now. And... Um, and, and wasn't it good? Just uh, really appreciated being able to see Fred and Leona and have them pray for us in the service. And, and look at this picture then that was taken afterwards. I mean, isn't that just a great picture? I mean, that could be in a magazine somewhere. And, and I don't know, um, someone thought maybe they, they could be, if you could just put that back on, we just have to look at Fred's mustache there a little bit. I mean, that's, that's a COVID thing. I mean, that, that we've never seen that before on Fred. And so very good to see that good, you know, very uh, nice looking. And uh, so, yeah, just so good that we can still connect in various ways as the body of Christ. And, and I think it is really important that we keep a sense of humor in all of this because it's very easy to become very overloaded very fast these days. And, and, and just with all the information and it becomes so all-consuming, so confusing, so annoying, so even tiring. And, and I mean, even at, at one point, I mean, who do you believe? I mean, there's so many ideas and so many opinions and so many theories and, and, and um, you know, you hear this you know, keep the lockdown going still, or end the lockdown now, introduce herd, men, herd immunity, uh, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, and you're left wondering, is there a hidden agenda behind all of this? Who's telling us the truth? So many storylines, so many angles, so many viewpoints, so many theories, 
And, 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 and what news sources do you trust? I mean, who and what do you trust these days? And, and, and then it is for followers of Christ, like you and me. Uh, I mean, what do we believe in all of this? Who do we follow? A few weeks ago, I, I read this from a theologian, um, well, philosopher, oh, I guess maybe not, not any of those, but former professional wrestler, Hulk Hogan. He weighed in on the coronavirus recently, and he posted this to Instagram, and I'm going to read some of the posts. And he says, God has taken away everything we worship. God said, you want to worship athletes? I'll shut down your stadiums. You want to worship musicians? I'll shut down your civic centers. You want to worship actors? I will shut down your theaters. You want to worship money? I'll shut down your economy and collapse the stock market. You don't want to go to church and worship me? I'll make it where you can't go to church. And then he goes on to say, maybe we need to take this time of isolation from the distractions of the world and have a personal revival where we focus on the only thing in the world that really matters, and that's Jesus. What he had to say there was just bang on. You know, it's so important, loved ones, that we pay attention and that, that we take time to focus on Jesus because Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is our only hope. He is our only power. He is the one, the only one who can save. He is the one who can transform our lives. He is the one who is able to give us a fresh, new, clean start, a clean slate in life. And you see, Jesus is bigger than anything in this world. And you see, there is something yet larger than COVID-19. There is something more devastating and more destructive than the virus that is going all over our world. It is the virus of sin that leads to death. And it has a 100% kill rate. And Jesus is the only cure. Jesus is the only hope to everlasting life. It is in him where salvation is found. It is in Jesus Christ where hope is found. It is in Jesus where peace is found. Peace in a troubled world. Peace in a troubled heart. You see, God's word says salvation is found in no other name, in no other religion, no other way other than Jesus Christ. And salvation is found. We receive this salvation. It is a free gift by believing by faith that God, the holy God of this universe, created us in his image, but that we have all missed the mark. We've all sinned. It's part of our sinful nature. We inherited it from Adam and Eve. And yet, God loves us so much that even though we have chosen rebellion, we have chosen selfishness, we have chosen to be greedy, we have chosen to lie and steal and to hurt one another, choose to do our own thing. God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to this earth who lived among us and lived a perfect life, who lived among us and served and he taught, but ultimately what he did is he offered his life as a sacrifice for our sins. And he said, if you trust in me, I will forgive you. I will give you eternal life. I will give you my righteousness. And when we come to Jesus Christ and we confess our sins, we repent, meaning we turn from our sin and we turn from our agenda, turn from our own way and we determine and we choose to follow Jesus Christ, he forgives. 
and we commit our lives to him, we invite him to be our Lord and our Savior, and when that happens, we are saved. We become a child of Jesus. We are adopted into his family. Our eternal destiny has been reversed. It has been reversed. Instead of hell, it is now heaven. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, comes and he lives within us, strengthening us, empowering us, giving us the power to be able to live a life that we could never live on our own, a life that we could never imagine here on earth, and eternity is literally out of this world. That's the good news of the gospel. That is the hope for this world. It won't be found in government policies. It won't be found in vaccines. It won't be found in this or that or nothing. The only hope for this world is found in Jesus Christ. And when we choose to follow Jesus Christ and we surrender our lives to him, we become one of his children and he invites us into his mission to share the good news with others. And we do this through, share, through, through sharing the love of Christ, but also we do this in practical ways by serving and loving others. We show and share the gospel. Oh, I, I, I pray regularly for us that with the love of God continually be growing and with the love of God be on our hearts and the gospel on our lips, ready to share the hope that we have in Jesus. We can get so troubled and so upset and so obsessed with everything that is going on. We can become so distracted uh, with, with, with all of the confusion that we start to, to, to miss the calling that we have been given. We forfeit and we get distracted and we start living our own mission. Or, or we just kind of are, are trying to hide for cover and just hope everything ends soon as far as this virus and lockdown is concerned. But we have a mission as believers in Jesus Christ. I, I love this food drive that many of you participated in and, and, and we pray that it would just be a blessing for the gospel mission and, and, and those that will be receiving the, these hampers and receiving this food. What a blessing. May it be, be, be gospel seeds as this goes forth. But also for the seeds that were planted in the community as between 1,500 and 2,000 cards were distributed throughout our communities here in Kelowna and Lake Country, West Kelowna area, inviting people to be a part of this and letting them know a little bit more about Hope Kelowna and what God is doing here. I've been hearing some great conversations in the last number of weeks, opportunity that God is giving to uh, opportunities to, 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 to many of you to share and to show the love of Christ, to be able to be a witness for Christ. If you were in a part of the Zoom call on Thursday night, and I encourage you to be a part of those because those are important times for us to see each other's faces, to pray together, to, to hear one another, to pray. But on, on this past Thursday night, we heard a very encouraging God at work story as a family from our church have been reaching out to their neighbors and, and together then with another family from our church, mutual friends, it's, it's kind of neat how it's all worked out. This family was going through a very difficult time, greatly affected by the economy and, and by the effects of COVID-19. But this week, after one of the neighbor lady encouraged her to watch our Easter service and, and then spent some time with her, and she gave her heart to Jesus Christ. She became a member of God's family. One of the six members of this family gave her heart to Jesus Christ. And we're so excited and we believe that heaven rejoices and we rejoice. This is the mission. 
This is what God has called us to be a part of. Remember our mission statement as a church. The mission statement of Hope Kelowna is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Notice that glorify God, not glorify ourselves, not make much about, about us as individuals, about our church. It is to glorify God that he would be glorified through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. What is that? To go and make disciples, to make much of Jesus, to share just what we talked about, share the gospel with those around us. And to see these new believers grow up in their faith and mature and, and be transformed through the process of sanctification and see them grow in, in their love for Christ and their love for one another and they're out sharing and witnessing and we just see God doing this great work and we do this all in the spirit of the great commandment. What is the great commandment? It says, first of all, love God, have this vertical love for, for God and understanding who God is, what he's done in our lives and then it expresses itself in a horizontal love for others. And this is what God has called us to do and to be a part of. But then look at this scripture verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. We'll get to our text in a few moments, but this is just so important to share with you. I just have to kind of fire you up and remind you, this is the mission, this is what we're called to do and to be. But look at this verse here. It says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. No, notice it says that, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. When you're working for yourself, when you're working for your reputation, when you're working for your fame, if you're working for people to make much about you, that'll be in vain. But when we work for the Lord, when we work for Jesus Christ, it won't be in vain. And so we're to always be abounding, immovable, keep pressing on. And abounding means continually thinking, praying, getting busy, taking advantage of the opportunities that the Lord gives us day by day means speaking the gospel, showing the gospel to others. Speaking of the, the, the word abounding, I, I can't help but think of my 83-year-old father and mother who's a number of years behind my dad in age, uh, who live in Regina, and, and, and they are very active in sharing the gospel in, in the last number of years with new Canadians. They've been instrumental in the last few years in seeing an Arabic church start in the city of Regina for new Canadians. And they spend a great deal of their time visiting and handing out lentils, of all things, and potatoes, and gospel books, and, 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 and uh, little recordings, and, and different things, so that these people can hear the gospel in their own language. And they love speaking to these new Canadians about Jesus. First of all, they were really involved with Syrian refugees, but more recently they're working with, with Iranian immigrants. And, and there's an open door for the gospel, and they're so bold and so loving in, in the way that they desire to, to live out this mission. Well, COVID-19 has certainly cramped their style. They've been kind of, you know, spending a lot more time in their home and just going out when necessary. And, and, and so their visitation and evangelism has kind of, you know, just hasn't gone the way that they've wanted to, and yet they've taken it all in stride. And, and where they live here, a little picture here, just to get an understanding, this is a walkway that goes around their place, and the next picture is going to show their condo that they live in, and so there you see their place, and this walkway winds right around their backyard along this little man-made lake, a very beautiful setting that they have, and they've noticed that there's so many, people more, so many more people out jogging and walking and on this path, and so, so my dad uh, has set up, if we go on to the next picture, these signs out in the back of their house, and, and then he'll play this music, 
And, um, and, and I asked him, I said, are your neighbors okay with it? He said, oh yeah, they, they don't mind it one little bit. But, but he has these signs and he loves standing out there and he, he, he's available to talk with people and to pray for, for them, again, from you know, keeping social distance and, and keeping that all in check. And, and when I talked to him this week, he says, I'm, I'm thinking of organizing a concert, getting one of my nieces, one of their granddaughters to, to be able to be there with a little sound system and sing to the people and, and, and just about getting the gospel out. And some of you might be thinking right now, okay, that is silly. I mean, Jesus is never social distant, you know, and, and spring is here, and he's risen, and call me, I'd love to pray for you, and the hope for candidates, Jesus, and, and all of this, you might say, that might be a little corny, might be a little silly, and yet, folks, the seeds are being planted. Is this method better than your method? Do you have a method for sharing the gospel with others? You never know how God might use this as seeds get planted. Perhaps there will be people who will one day come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and the seed and the encouragement that they saw of this guy in his 80s out there with a, a smile on his face and waving to them and, and, and just giving them a, a kind greeting could be something that would just encourage them at some point to just turn to Jesus Christ. We don't know how God can use even little things like this. Are you abounding in the work of the Lord or are you abounding in your own mission, your own agenda? Are you feeling depleted or discouraged or drained these days? There's so much of opportunity for that around us in, in what we are facing. And it's also easy to become complacent during this time. And perhaps you're just kind of feeling like you're just kind of holding on. You just want this to end and then get back to normal. Folks, I don't think we're going to get back to the normal of what we ever saw. Things are going to be different once we emerge from this. And yet we can get so focused on our own circumstances and, and it doesn't lead to a good place. And some of you, I want to be honest with you, some of you no doubt are drifting. I've talked to some of you this past week. You've been drifting away from God's word, from prayer, from, from fellowship. And you're heading towards a place that isn't good. I encourage you to run back to Jesus. Run to the word. Run to prayer. Get back into biblical community. Get over your Zoom hang-ups and, and join a group. Yes, it's virtual, it's not ideal, but it's still important, and this is God's plan, and God's, God's word commands us and, and encourages us to, to be in community with one another for accountability, for encouragement, to learn and to grow together. Reach out. Reach out to fellow believers. Reach out to people in, in the life of this church. Reach out to, to, to one of our leaders. Fill out one of those online connection cards. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you. And, and if you're not connected at this point or you're new to Hope Kelowna, you're just even checking us out online, we, we would love for you to get further connected and find out more about what God is doing here. Well, now as we turn to our text, we kind of see how, how this kind of moves us into our topic for today. You see, in 2 Corinthians and chapter 8 and, and chapter 9, we see that there was a group of people who were also going through a very difficult time, extremely discouraging. We have been in this, what, now for six, seven weeks where all of a sudden just everything started closing in on? Well, for the Macedonians, things were a lot tougher for them for a very long period of time, and there was no light at the end of their tunnel. Here on this map that you'll see, the Macedonian churches are, are referred to as, as Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea that you'll see in a few moments, and, and that is in the region of northern Greece. They were experiencing extreme poverty. I mean, there's poor, and then there's dirt poor, and the Macedonians were dirt poor. 
They were oppressed by Roman rule. They lived in an economically very poor region, and so things weren't good. They also faced a lot of opposition in, in following Jesus Christ. And for them, there was no end in sight. And yet they lived very incredibly generous lives, joy-filled lives. And as we saw last week, they were filled with an abundance of joy. And you start thinking, well, how is that possible? How can they be filled with so much joy in this way? And it's because they had the right perspective when it came to life, when it came to God, when it came to their stuff. Now, you know, we hear a, a lot these days about flattening the curve and hoping for that and, and, and praying for that, flattening the curve of this virus. Let's just get things moving, and, 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 and that's what we hope and we trust for. But I wonder today, as followers of Jesus Christ, what if during this time, rather than just hoping and praying for a flattening of the curve, what if we take this time to steepen our curve of generosity? in our own lives personally, as families, and as a church. That there would be growing within each one of us a growing joy and a greater passion for generosity that would be welling up inside of us. That we would be like this church in Macedonia or the churches in Macedonia where even though things were extremely terrible for them, they were experiencing a joy and a blessing and, and God's provision in some incredible ways for them. Oh, I pray that we would not be hoarders, but that we would be givers. Now, as we talk about finances, as we talked about money last week, we talk about it today, and Lord willing, we'll end this then next week. God's word has a lot to say about our finances, about our generosity. God's word does not disregard hard work or savings or wise investments. In, in fact, God's word encourages that. It encourages that we leave money for our children. But God's word does reject greed and selfish accumulation and hoarding and materialistic kind of endeavors and pursuits. And it's vital that we think biblically when it comes to God and our money and our generosity. Because one day we will stand before God and we will give an account before him on how we used what he has given to us. And so today, as we look at this, to steepen the curve of generosity, and, and that's kind of, you know, kind of our, our main thing we're going to be talking about, to steepen the curve of generosity, which will ultimately result in God's blessing and provision and, and our joy... We must understand, and first of all, we see we must give out of an abundance of God's grace. That we give out of God's grace, not out of guilt or pressure. That is so vital. We covered this again in detail last week, but it's important for me to, to repeat this last week in case you didn't hear this. I don't want you to get a bad taste in your mouth early on here. You see, New Testament giving is not based out of guilt or out of fear or pressure, arm twisting, give or else nor is there a certain required percentage that is mandated. But rather, the New Testament speaks about grace-giving, about generous, sacrificial, joy-filled giving as a response to what God has done in our lives. So, so let's read here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Now it is superfluous. Love that word, superfluous 
which means Paul basically saying, I really shouldn't have to say this. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia, which is the region in Corinth, has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, (laughs) we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident in this way. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift that you promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. You see, what happened is, is a year earlier, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians, a very wealthy church in a very wealthy region, put Corinth there on the map with the big dollar sign there. And he told them about the great opportunity that there is to give towards the church in Jerusalem, where we see the Acts 2 church that that began there. And we see the great need that was there in that church. The people there were discouraged. There was a famine in the land. They, They faced brutal, brutal, terrible religious persecution. And so Paul said to the Corinthian church, hey, would you want to give some money to support the Jerusalem church? They're kind of like our mother church. And they're like, yeah, sure, we're all in. Let's go for it with great enthusiasm. And so Paul instructed in in 1 Corinthians 16 as he presented it to them, he even kind of gave some instructions on how to go about collecting it. Like he said, start collecting it once a week. When you gather together, start this collection. And, And so it was basically, so when I come back in about a year's time, I'll receive an offering. And and he talks about some trusted men that will be with him. And and we see the Apostle Paul when it comes to money and and the encouragement and the challenge for the churches even then and even today is, is for financial integrity and accountability. And he says, then I will come and I will collect that offering. I will pick it up from you guys along with these trusted men of integrity and we'll take it to the church in Jerusalem. Paul then goes to the churches in Macedonia Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, and he says to them, hey, the church in Corinth, those, those people there are giving an offering for the church in Jerusalem. And the Macedonian church, the poverty-stricken ones say, hey, we want in too. Let us go. And let us give as well. And they go crazy when it comes to giving. And we saw that last week. It, it, it says in, in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians that they gave sacrificially, abundantly, enthusiastically. It, it says even beyond their ability. They were giving more than what they could really even afford. They, they were just like, we're all in. Church of Corinth is in. We're in. Let's do this. And listen to this. God's grace makes beggars out of people. In chapter 8, verse 4, it says, they were begging Paul to give to the church in Jerusalem. So God's grace makes beggars out of people. They want to give. You know, a little side note, and I couldn't help as I was looking at this passage this weekend, I, I couldn't help but thinking about how exciting it, it will be and, and for us to be able to meet, meet again face-to-face and me not preaching to a camera. And... and I couldn't help but be to think about and even to pray towards this that these truths of generosity would so grip our lives 
and get hold of us in, in these next number of weeks as, as we are talking about this and we allow the Spirit of God to do a work in our lives and we examine our lives in this area, that the first time that we gather, that when the announcement is given that, hey, now it is time to receive the offering and we receive it however we can, you know, doing it all safely, uh, following proper protocols and guidelines, that, that when Brett or Chrissy or one of the worship uh, leaders says, hey, it's time to receive the offering, that it there would be this, yes, I cannot wait, I never thought you would ask us to be able to do this again, and we can't wait, and just a willing excitement to be able to give. That was the church in Macedonia. They were like, yes, we want to give. Why? Because God had been doing this work in their hearts, and it freed up this generosity, Paul then finds out that the Corinthian church were all in, but they never followed through with it. They were kind of like all show and no go. They were all big talkers, but no follow through. And so in chapter 8 and verse 9, and chapter 8 and 9 here of 2 Corinthians, Paul is now just simply reminding the Corinthians, hey, you made this commitment. You need to follow through. And he said, soon I'll be coming, and I may have some Macedonians with me, and, and they heard all about your enthusiasm, and, and they're kind of wonder about you people when they come and find out you haven't even collected the offering with yet. And so he's kind of saying, come on, get with it, let's go. And so Paul is basically saying, finish what you started. Follow through with what you committed. Learn from their generosity and what God is doing in their midst and what God desires to do in your midst. Now, Paul is being super gentle here. And, and, you know, he was known to be a very in-your-face, speak-the-truth kind of, you know, guy. I mean, he, that's just the way he spoke and the, the way that he dealt with people oftentimes. He didn't hold back. Remember in Galatians chapter 5 when Paul was getting, you know, getting dogged by a lot of the religious leaders, the false teachers who were confusing and leading, leading people astray over the subject of circumcision. And, 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 and he ends up saying, and there's, I just wish those agita agitators would just go out there and emasculate themselves. I mean, that's pretty powerful language. I mean, Paul kind of said it like he, he thought it, you know. But here Paul is being gentle. And he's just simply reminding them of this commitment that they made. And he would have had a very strong biblical basis to be a lot more in their face because of what Jesus had said. Jesus had much to say about money. Look at in, in Matthew chapter 6. I encourage you to open your Bibles there. The reference is on the screen. Matthew chapter 6. And in verse 19, I'll start reading as you're turning there. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth or rut nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, the reason why I wanted you to look that up is I'd encourage you to underline the word there, do not lay up, in verse 19. And then in verse 20, where it says, but lay up. So do not lay up, but lay up, he tells us. Now, both of those are present active imperatives. An imperative is a command. And present active means it's not just a one-time thing. This is an ongoing. This is in the present. This is continually. This is daily. And it's, so he's saying daily, do not lay up for yourselves treasures here on this earth. But daily, continually, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then in verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, and he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And he said, you cannot serve God and money. And then in verse 33, there in Matthew 6, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. I will meet your needs. I will take care of your needs. But seek first his kingdom. Have the right relationship to God and to riches. David Platt, I quoted him last week. I quote him again this week. And he says this, our money signals where our hearts are. The way that we spend, the way that we save, our bank and credit card statements are sure indicators of what kingdom we are living for and are sure indications of our spiritual condition. And you see, the reason why Paul was addressing this subject to the church in Corinth and and the reason why this is in God's word for us today was that so that they, and so that it's in God's word today for us so that you and I, we don't miss out on the untold blessings that God has in store for those who are generous. This is such good news. I would be at fault as a pastor if I did not share these truths and these realities with you. So oftentimes we're afraid to to preach on money as pastors because we know it makes people uncomfortable. I can't see you squirm. I I can see clicks, you know, or, or likes, all the, you know, kind of views start to decline as we talk about this, but... You know, it's a tough subject, but there are blessings, and there is a joy, and even a special love from God that we experience when we are grace givers. Take a look. This is kind of the hinge verse in in, in, in verse 6 now in 2 Corinthians 9. This is the verse that sets us up for a mind-blowing finish next week. But here's just a little taste of it. Verse 6, it says, the point is this. That's why it's a hinge voice verse. I mean, it, it's just so clear. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And, and this brings us to our second point and, and our last point here today. Generous giving to God results in greater giving from God. You got that? Generous giving towards God will result in a greater giving from God. And, and, and here's a nice little sub point to also write down. God replenishes our giving. He is a replenishing God. Now, now, this is an incredible promise that you can go to the bank on. What can you go to the bank on these days, right? Your investments all over the place. But this is something is sure, is more sure than anything in this world. The promises that God has for us in this. Notice that Paul doesn't use a banking illustration, doesn't use mathematics, he uses a farming illustration. You see, in banking, you have simple math, and and that simple math is that if you give away, you're going to have less. That's what simple math teaches us. But God's economy is different. God's economy is upside down. It's counterintuitive. Now, in the month of May, I get this weird, strange kind of pull, if you want to call it, back to the prairies. And, and it's in May and in September, especially when it's very strong. Being a Saskatchewan kid, why is it such a pull? Because it's springtime and it's, it's harvest time. In May and in September, usually. And I grew up spending my spring, summer, and fall on the Lutzer family farm south of Regina. And I love spring, even though things are so barren out on, on, on the prairies, to get back out on the land and, and to be able to look at our crops. And, and, and this was f- taken from one of our sheds. We didn't have drones back then. This is an old picture. 
And, and my job during the planting process, during the seeding process, was the harrowing and packing, and that's what I have on the tractor there. And after the, the, the field was, was seeded, after the, the seeds were planted in the ground, I would go and drive over the field, just leveling out, packing the seed, the moisture around the seeds with, with those big rollers there that you see. I, I loved it. it was, what a great time. Now, as I said, these pictures are a few um, decades old, um, and, and, and farm machinery hasn't changed an awful, has changed an awful lot, but, but the principles have not. And, and, and here's a picture of, of what my dad would do. This was the seeding process. And, and, and what would happen is my dad would save every year some of his best grain from the year before. And it would be number one red spring wheat. And it was beautiful looking stuff. He would get it cleaned and then he would take that good seed, as you see it in the back of the truck, and it would get loaded into the seeder or into the disc seeder. Every year, truckloads of his best wheat would be sown into the ground. And he would sow it liberally and generously. And would go into that cold, dark ground, and it would sit there for a number of weeks, oftentimes. It would take probably 10 days to 14 days to all of a sudden see those the wheat starting to grow. Now, in the short term, the farmer is poorer than when he first started because he has less. But that's only for the short term because there's the law of the harvest. And when we seed and when we plant and when we give generously, there is a harvest, an abundant harvest. This is what God is telling us. You see, grace-filled giving it runs against the wisdom of the world. Grace-filled, sacrificial, Macedonian church kind of giving goes against what your financial advisors will tell you. It, it, it's kingdom math, and kingdom math is so different than the world's math. Kingdom math says the way to increase is, is, is to subtract by giving it away. The world's math says hold on to it. Invest it in your own portfolio so that it will grow and you'll have more. Kingdom math says subtract, take it away. And here's the principle. If you are generous to the Lord, he will be generous back to you. You can't outgive God. Remember last week I, I talked about a widow who, who gave up her life savings in a church that we were at to be part of a building project that our church was a part of or how Charlotte and I, our family had committed to keep an old beat up truck, have a picture of that old truck found it here of our young kids um, back many years ago and we, we kind of said, okay, we want to give sacrificially to this endeavor in the life of our church and, and, and so it just means we're going to drive this older truck around for a little bit longer and, and I told you last week I'd talk more about it this week but I won't, I'm sorry, we'll talk about it Lord willing next week as well as share with you some other awesome other rest of the story kind of scenarios. And, and, and one of you, you might be sitting there and think, okay, Meldon, what you're talking about here, if I give, I will receive. And, and, and you know, you're starting to sound a little bit like you're drinking some of that prosperity gospel Kool-Aid that you were talking about last week. Make sure that you are here next week as we unpack some powerful principles about sowing and reaping. And we're going to look at some shocking things that Jesus said when it, came to, when it comes to our money. But I encourage us as we're going to end our study here and, and uh, spend some time in worship in, in a few moments again. In verse 7, it says, Each one of us must 
give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, no one is forcing you to give to God. It's not out of guilt that we give or, or, you know, or, or you know, just like, okay, fine, I'll give, and you were reluctant to give. God doesn't want that. That word decided in the New Testament, this is the only time that it is used here, and it means predetermined. It means planned. It means prayed over. So we must decide in our heart. We must bring God into the equation. And, and sometimes it's helpful. I had a conversation, um, a few conversations with people recently about, you know, they're kind of wrestling about, okay, what, what, what is it that God would want me to give? How should I be using my finances? And, and at point, points, we need to seek out um, friends. We need to seek out godly counsel. But we must decide this in our heart. And then it goes on to say, for God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful is where we get the word hilarious. He loves it when we give with great generosity and cheerfulness a hilari- in a hilarious way. I don't know if you've ever received a gift from someone and, and you know that that gift was given out of guilt or they gave it reluctantly. It makes it a not a very special gift, does it? You really don't even necessarily want to hold on to it. You're not going to treasure that gift when you know it was given in just that kind of a way. And I believe so much that if our giving to God is reluctant and sad and begrudging, keep it. Just keep it. Spend it on yourself. But you're also going to forfeit the blessings that God desires to give to his children. Or you have another possibility. Repent and change your attitude. I close this morning with a old story. It's an old legend of a king who went down to the city one day to see his subjects. And as the king went to, walked in, in and around the city, there were a group of um, people that would come and see him, and, and a poor beggar came running to him and holding out his hand and holding out a bowl for the king. And he was shouting to the king and, and, and hoping that the king would reward him in some ways. And then the king did something that was quite shocking. He, the king ended up saying to him, he said, you give me something first. Well, this poor beggar, he, he didn't know what to do. And he had a bag and he was digging through it. And in the end, he, he gave the king and placed in the king's hand three little kernels of rice. Later on that night, he wasn't aware of it, but the king had slipped something into his bag. And when he was digging through that bag, he ended up digging out and he found the same size of those little kernels of rice. He found little nuggets of gold, very small. And you know, that poor beggar in that moment wished that he would have given the king everything because what would have he received in return? And you know, I believe in so many ways that that God is calling us to a life of generosity. And there is a life of blessing and joy and a love from God that we won't experience until we are grace-generous givers.